little bit. Uh, we are going to be looking this morning uh, at, uh, back in the, the Gospel of John, this ancient account of Jesus that we have been in for, for several, several months, and yet we're not looking at this text this morning because it's the series I've been preaching on or, or what I, I planned to preach a couple weeks ago, but as I looked at this text and decided what is it that, that we need to look at as a church family here today, I realized that uh, uh, several weeks ago when God put this text on my heart, he was providentially putting us in a time and a place to hear a word of encouragement. Because remember, this is the things that Jesus spoke to his disciples uh, just prior to his arrest. Just prior to the point when, when the world was going to start coming at them really, really fast. Right in the moment when nothing in their life would ever be the same again. Because this gathering that they had would be broken up by gar, armed guards who would arrest Jesus and send them scattering and into hiding and, and following the resurrection into the Pentecost push uh, outward of the church. Nothing about their life would ever be the same again from this moment. And so Jesus prepares them for it. Jesus gives them a word to encourage them, and I think it'll encourage us as well. So let's hear uh, selections of what Jesus said to those disciples as he told them of the help that was on their way. Follow along with me, uh, starting in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Then from the garden in John 15, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I, send, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And finally in John 16, But I said these things to you that when their hour comes, you, remain, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for... He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, I imagine the confusion that was on uh, the face of the disciples as they heard you saying these words. The confusion about what it is that you uh, were about to do, what was about to happen. The, the surprising uh, travesty and the surprising fears that would soon find them. But yet, God, we pray, Lord, that even as they sound confusing to us at first, Lord, that your spirit would be our helper this morning, the spirit that would lead us into truth, that would lead us into the knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I remember uh, when I was a kid, and maybe you would do something similar, you'll have to tell me, that when it was bedtime and it was time to, to go into my room, I would always line up next to the, the light switch, like in a, in a running pose, right? I don't know if you can see me in the frame. But uh, I would line up like it was a track meet, and I would flip the switch. And as fast as my little legs could carry me, I would try to, to run to my bed and jump in. Because my theory was is that if I could run fast enough, those couple of feet, I could get into my bed before the lights actually, before the darkness actually finds me. If I could flip the switch and run fast enough, I wouldn't have to feel that feeling of the darkness covering my familiar room and hiding what is not known. Not being able to see what is there, not being able to know what dangers alert around me. Of course, the darkness would always overwhelm me. It would always find me. Even when I got into the bed, you know when you get into the bed and, and the sheets are still cold to the touch. And your senses are, are awakened and you hear every creak and every moan in the room. 
And all of a sudden, you reminded that you are painfully alone. The darkness takes you into a place of unknown. And the darkness makes you aware that you are alone. We like to say that kids are afraid of the dark, but it's not really the dark that they're afraid of. They're afraid of what that darkness brings, the fear, fear itself. This morning, as we come to this text, we are, I think, in a, in a sort of way, a night has fallen upon us, right? There is a great unknownness to our lives. Each and every one of us, regardless of who you are or where you are, you do not know what tomorrow brings for you. Of course, you never did, but this coronavirus, this pandemic has brought us into a place where we cannot see or pretend to see what, what dangers lurk in our future. And also with it, it brings with us an isolation that has some of us living literally by ourselves, literally alone in our place. And that combination of the, the, the unknownness, the unknown dangers which lurk behind us and the isolation and the feeling of loneliness that fails to give us reassurance that we are okay leads us to a place of fear. Jesus knew well that this would be the situation for his disciples. And so he took great pains over and over and over again in his final evening with them to point out to them that they will not ever be alone. They will not ever be alone because he will send the Spirit. You see, this, more, this week as I've thought over and over again, again about the dangers that approach us. I remember this old like kid song that we used to have on this cassette player and it would sing this, the, the words of Psalm 46 that calls where God promises his people through the psalm that he would be a very present help in a time of trouble. And yet that was only the start. The people of Israel who sang that song before Jesus only knew of a, Jesus, of a God who is accessible in the temple. They did not know of what it would mean to have the, the presence of God in the flesh in Jesus. But even the people who stood there with Jesus in the garden did not know just how near he would be. You see, we think it would be better to be with Jesus, but Jesus says, I will be all the more present, all the more accessible, all the more with you when I leave because the Spirit of God will be near you. Jesus could be with one, two, ten, twelve, a hundred people, perhaps at a time, but the Spirit, it says, will be in us. And so today we come and we look that God, how God has kept his promise to be a very present help in trouble. Because we see that Jesus has ensured that he will be very present with us even after he leaves us. That Jesus will be very present with us so that we can be reassured in this hour. So we're going to look at this text in a few different ways. And the first is this, is that Jesus gives us a spirit to be a very present help in times of trouble. It's obvious that trouble has found us. And whether it's small things or very, very big things, we've all already lost 
We've lost opportunities. We've lost money. We've lost freedom. We've lost dreams of what our lives could behold. We're only one week, really, into this profound societal quarantine that we've put ourselves in. And already, so many of us are at an emotional, spiritual, physical breaking point of, of, of anxiety and fear. And yet, if we know the predictions that are upon us is that uh, the real disaster has not even come close to us yet. The real danger is still a few weeks away. And so it's all the more important that we see that Jesus looks at his disciples in their hour of trouble and says that the spirit, the helper, will be a very present help. And the result of his presence is pretty clear. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It sounds so rosy and cheery. Peace, but not as the world gives. When the world talks about peace, when our, our, and when I say the world, I mean our natural inclinations, right? The kinds of things that you default to when you hear the word peace comes mostly from the absence of conflict, right? A, a, a nation is at peace when they are not at war, right? You are at peace when you, don't have, when you have the absence of, of calamity and, and hardship. The world finds peace by doing away with trouble, but Jesus says he brings us a peace that is not like the world. Many Christians, I'm going to call it a, a worldly Christian response, they hear Jesus say, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, and they, uh, they think that this peace is a default mode if you're a, a real Christian, that it's, a, it's a, a, an innate uh, setting that switches in your body where you always feel at peace and you are never anxious or afraid. And a lot of times we talk about uh, even this week or over the last few weeks, you've heard Christians say, do not fear. We are not a fearful people. Do not fear. We're not a fearful people. But in a sense, it's kind of just the, the opposite of, of the worldly form of peace, right? It's this notion that if, uh, if I can pretend that this trial and this anxiety is not affecting me, then it's, it's absent, right? That my goal is to be in a place where I am not affected by the trouble. It's a peace that comes in that theory by the absence of an experience of trouble. That's not the peace that Jesus gives, because he gives a peace that is not of this world. He says, it's a peace that I leave with you you, a peace that comes from interaction with the helper, a peace that comes as not as a default, but as a result of an interaction. You see, Jesus knows that he is about to leave and his disciples will be alone, that the cares and the fears of this world will hit them hard. He says, let not your hearts be troubled because he knows that their hearts will be troubled. He tells them, neither let them be afraid because he knows that they will be afraid. What he wants them to know is that his peace comes not because the trouble doesn't come and fear doesn't come, but peace comes because they bring their fears and their troubles to a present helper. 
a God who is accessible, a God who is near even to those who are alone, a God who is never far from us. And I bring this up to you is specifically because in this time we are living in this, in this weird cocktail that is very, very dangerous for the life of a Christian. Because we have a, a, a setting in which there is an increased level of anxiety, right, and fear, whether it's financial fear or, or, or fear of health or, or fear for the lives of your vulnerable relatives or, or fear for the ending of their, this very country even. Right, And we're taking those fears and high anxieties and then we're putting ourselves in isolation, away from the, the, the places that would be healthy to go and to process those anxieties with ev- other people. And so what the temptation will be for each and every one of us will be to try to find peace for our hearts by returning to, to, to ways to hide or to, to mask or to confuse ourselves into thinking that the danger and the anxiety and the fear is not there. We'll turn, uh, many of us will find ourselves going back and back to the, the alcohol cabinet, maybe more so than normal. Because there's a way that you can chemically trick your brain into thinking that things are okay and everything's all right. Some of us will find ourselves in our isolation going back again and again to things like pornography, which also chemically tell our brains that we are okay. We will find ways to trick our brains into thinking everything is okay because that's the kind of peace we're looking the absence of conflict. Others of us will go to things like uh, sleeping all the time or, or, or go to things like almost like a manic controlling, uh, trying to c- control our environment such that we build our, our house into a fortress that no germ could ever entrance. We become uh, hyper fearful over anything that is outside of our control or any person that is outside of our control. And we think that by controlling or by sleeping and ignoring that we can divert our attention away from trouble so that we don't have to acknowledge that the trouble is real. Others of us will turn to a hyper-religiosity, the, relig- the, the kind of religion that says, God is my protector and nothing could ever harm me because I am God's, or the kind of religiosity that says, I am unmoved and unaffected by these fears and traumas. These are all ways that we try to find peace as the world finds peace, by subtraction. But Jesus offers us something different. He offers us a Holy Spirit, a helper who will be with us, indeed, who will be in us. So that we have a place, a person to which we bear our trials and sorrows. When my kids are in their room and that we turn out the lights and, and Whitney and I are out in the living room. But if we don't turn on the TV or we're not listening to music or we're not making some sort of noise, every 15, 20 minutes our kids will just yell out, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom. Dad, and they'll keep doing this until we answer. What do you need? I just wanted to make sure that you were still there. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit reminds us over and over again, while we feel the darkness surround us, that he 
is still here. He doesn't just give us a help for a, a very present help in times of trouble, but a very present help in times of great responsibility. This week, I've uh, talked with a number of folks on the phone, and, and uh, just yesterday, I talked to a dear friend. He and his wife are both health care providers, uh, one at, at St. Jude and one in the emergency room down at the med while they're trying to care for their young toddler daughter. This is a time of fearfully great responsibility. I've talked to to overwhelmed mom who is tasked all of a sudden with the enormous weight of educating her children upon her shoulders in an unexpected and an unprepared for way. And the weight of the responsibility is upon her. I spoke with restaurant owners who, for whom government assistance or bailout is their only hope of making it in this world. I spoke uh, with Pastor Marlin about the fearsome reality that his community faces, especially as the, the, the county schools shut down their lunch program, that there will be people without food and people in mass. Great responsibility. And on top of that, we come to this text and we see that Jesus' introductory, his prelude into his offer of help is to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Most specifically, the one he just gave them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. On top of the burdens and the weights and the responsibilities of our t specific times and places and callings, Jesus calls us to be the very embodiment of his kingdom. So not only do you have to figure out how to go to, 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 to care for those who are at work or to care for those who are sick or to care for those entrusted to you, you now must do it as one who is an ambassador of Christ's kingdom. So we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed, but we remain overwhelmed because we forget that we have a very present help. It's fascinating to me that Jesus in this text, only one time does he refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, the, the most conventional names. More than anything else in this passage, as Jesus refers to him, he refers to him as a helper. Think about that. The member of the Godhead. The third person of the Trinity who goes by the name helper, assistant, advocate. The Godhead, God himself would take on the name of helper to be your helper. And if those of you, it's, it's an astonishing amount of power that's packed into that phrase. It's it's like you are a frustrated FedEx employee stuck in your cubicle not being able to get anything done. And then Fred Smith comes and, and volunteers to be your assistant, right? Not Fred Smith like some uh, sort of undercover boss, but Fred Smith as Fred Smith, right? Can you imagine what it would be like if at the bottom of every signature line of your email it said, uh, you know, Brian Humphreys and Fred Smith sent this? Right? Can you imagine if Fred Smith brought his contacts and his resources to your particular department? Can you imagine your interaction with your manager would suddenly change pretty drastically, wouldn't it? 
your ability to have funding, your ability to, to do the work of your department would, shatter, would, would transform radically under that concept. Maybe going to work wouldn't quite be so stressful anymore. You see, in this passage, Jesus will refer over and over and over again to the calling that he is placing on these disciples' lives to live out the kingdom of God in the most overwhelming way imaginable. But at the same time, he tells them that the Spirit is doing the work. You have a job to do, but the Spirit brings the fruit. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That it is the Spirit who will bring the conviction. It is the Spirit who is the one who will demonstrate before the watching world that there is a God, a refuge, and a strength that their sin is running away from. It is the Spirit of God who will convict the world of the righteousness that Jesus wants, the righteousness meaning when Jesus was on the earth, everyone could look at Jesus and see how good and pure he was, how delightful was the life he was advocating. When he is saying that the, uh, he, will, he will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, he's saying that the Spirit of God is going to do that in you, in us. That the Spirit of God is going to convince the world that there is a power and that there is a hope and that there is a life through you. That the Spirit of God will work in you concerning judgment, right? That this world might know that the ruler of this world, the powers of this world, the kind of peace that this world offers are not our home and are not our place. You see, it is the, the calling on our lives to represent and to enflesh the kingdom of God, but it is the Spirit who brings the work. And so when he says, you will keep my commandments... He's simply saying, you will follow my lead. The Holy Spirit will be the the lead dancer leading the dance. You simply follow along. Many of us are are finding ways to above and beyond what are the trials of our individual lives to to seek to love and to serve, and they're overwhelming. The crisis need for blood, the crisis need for, for food, the crisis need for for uh, uh, medical equipment for our our doctors and nurses, right? We have uh, folks lovingly sewing masks to to give into the hands of doctors and nurses. We have folks lining up to give blood and to give money and food and to care for those who are vulnerable. And, And if we look at the magnitude of the need, we can be easily overwhelmed. And yet... If we look at the simplicity of what God is asking us to do, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love one another, to love the Lord your God. If we look at the simplicity of what he's called us to and we combine it with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the world, we do not need to be overwhelmed but reassured. That as we follow the very simple steps at a time that God gives us, it gives us the freedom to do, this is an old Jeffrey line, to do what we can, not what we can't. That one step at a time, one day at a time, that we can build and fill this world with the flourishing, even in the midst of great terror and hardship. So we are reassured that the Spirit of God and not us, will bring his flourishing. Finally, 
Jesus knows that these disciples, as they encounter a hardship and an alienation and a, a loneliness, are going to experience confusion. And so Jesus tells them, I think in this text, that the Spirit of God is to be a very present help in times of confusion. I said he calls the Holy Spirit helper more than anything. You know what the next one is that he calls him? The Spirit of truth. Three times he says he calls him the Spirit of truth will be with you. You see, as we go through this season of life and we don't know how long it will last, we don't know what the implications will be, we don't know how many of us will be bankrupted, we don't know how many of us will become sick, we don't know how many of us will die. And the unknowns have a way of making us doubt the, the veracity of what we thought we knew. It has a way of making us doubt what is right and good in the world. It makes us doubt whether God is who he says he is. And so Jesus tells his followers, I am giving you a helper. A helper who will be a spirit of truth. One who will reveal and, and remind us what is true. You heard him as he says it in verse 25. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Uh, in, verse 12, in verse 13, excuse me, he says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Most specifically, remember, Jesus is talking to the apostles. And so some of the Spirit's work to bring truth has already been transmitted to us as those uh, men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us a sacred text, a place that has meaning and value, not just as an ancient document, not just as, as a remote claim to truth, but as one which the Holy Spirit gives us for our good that we might know what is true. But he also, I think, gives us, this, the succeeding generations of followers of Jesus, uh, a spirit who leads us into all truth, not in some new inspired way, but in a way of discernment and care. He gives us a spirit of truth who can, uh, who can dialogue with us as we ask the hard questions of a time of fear and, and doubt. And worry. God, why? God, how long? God, am I safe? God, are those I love safe? God, are you, di are you uh, dis disciplining me for my sins? God, have you forgiven me? God, what should I do? The claims that will roll in your life in every particular nuance and way of your life and experience. You have a spirit of God who resides in you, who gives you the freedom to ask those questions. The psalmists, the very psalmists in the book of Psalms, demand hard questions of God because they knew that they had a God who was accessible, a God who was near. In the Hebrew, actually, the, the, the God, a very present help means a, a very findable God, a God who you can locate and track down, a God who you can, can, when you have a question, you go to him and ask it. 
I think the same notion is here in this text, that you are not alone in your questions, but you are free to ask them. No, you're free to demand them. Because you have a God who is big enough to bear the burdens of this world and to feel your burdens at the same time. You have a God who will maybe not tie everything up altogether, but he will give you a confidence that if only we knew what he knows, it would all make sense. You see, as we go into a time of fear and sorrow, we need a God who we can talk to, a God who can hear us, a God who sees us. And so Jesus wants to make sure before he leaves earth that his followers know that they have such a spirit. So I'd run and jump in my bed and spend anxious moments lying there in the cold sheets waiting for sleep to come or, or for the weird noises to stop. But do you know what would always end the fear of the dark? is when a few minutes later, while it seemed like an eternity, my mom would, would come into the room and she would slip and she would sit down beside the bed and she would, she would uh, pull down the covers just enough on, on our back to, to scratch our back as she would sing some old hymn or some old song. Usually it was the old rugged cross for me. Some of you all will know that old hymn. It was in the fear of the dark, not that I could begin to see what was around me, but the reassurance of my mother's presence, the reassurance of my mother's touch that would make that fear, fearsome dark, no longer fearsome at all. It was the presence of my mom and her touch upon me that would slay any monsters in the closet, who would slay any monsters under the bed because I knew that she was with me. We fear, and it is only natural to fear. It is only human to fear and be anxious of what we see happening in the world this very second. It's unprecedented in several generations of any sort of calamity of this scale and sort. But the fear comes not from the unknown, but the fear comes because of the unknown and thinking that we're afraid and thinking that we're alone. Jesus tells his followers, you do not know what's coming, but you know this, that you have a spirit who will be a very present help. Therefore, we can be reassured because the spirit of God is still our very present help in times like these. He's our very present help to lead us into truth. He's our very present help to lead us into the good works and the flourishing of the world that he's called us to. He is the very present help who is here to give us peace in the midst of a storm. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to be afraid. Not because it's not scary, but because we are not alone. Let me finish with these the full line here from Psalm 46, the first couple verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. May that be true for us today and tomorrow and forevermore. Pray with me.
God, we are a people who need you. Now, more than ever, we need to know of your presence and we need to know of your love. God, lead us into your truth. Lead us into your work. Lead us, oh God, into your peace, we pray in Jesus' name.